spotlighting Hawaii's leaders. We want to bring in Governor David E. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Lieutenant Governor, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Mayor Derek Kawakami. Thank you so much, uh, Senator, for being here. Spotlighting the issues. Where is the virus right now in our community? How much is this overall going to cost the state? How are you responding to community's concerns? Talk about the level of citations that you guys are writing. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Kalei Suji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Chaminade University. Well, good morning. Thanks for tuning in. It is 1030 here in Hawaii, which means it's time for Spotlight Hawaii. I'm Ryan Kalei joined by Yanji Denise. And today we continue on in our conversations of, on the topic of COVID-19, its impact here in our community, focusing today on an area that we know we usually get a lot of questions in our comment section on. That's right. We are talking about COVID and kids, and we are so lucky this morning to be joined by Dr. Douglas Kwok of Hawaii Pacific Health. He's a pediatric infectious disease specialist, also a general pediatrician. We are so happy to have you. Thank you so much for being with us, doctor. Hi, Yanji. Hi, Ryan. Thank you for having me. So today, the State Department of Health, Hawaii Department of Health is reporting 11 new coronavirus-related deaths, 493 confirmed and probable infections in the state. We've been told that about 20% of those new infections, when we see those numbers, uh, we can assume are kids. What are you seeing uh, in the hospital when it comes to COVID and kids, those you know, hundreds of kids now every day that are, that are getting infected with the virus? Yeah, well, you know, those kids are, are 12 and under don't have access to a vaccine yet, so they remain an unprotected population. So, you know, it's not surprising that we are seeing uh, cases in that in that age population. You know, and, and um, for the most part, the kids do um, better than adults do with the COVID infection. So, you know, less requirement for hospitalization, but nonetheless, kids can get infected and they can get severe infections. So, you know, we do end up having having children admitted to the hospital for uh, for treatment. And when they are brought in for treatment, you know, I imagine that if they're coming to the hospital, obviously there is some level of urgency and, uh, you know, care that is needed. Uh, can you talk us through what are some of the things that you're seeing in kids specifically, uh, if it's uh, any different from those and what you're seeing from adults? What's different than adults is that, um, you know, the, the kids thankfully tend to be infected less severely than, than adults. But, you know, when they when they do get infected severely, uh, their treatment remains pretty much the same depending on the severity of their illness. They might come in and require maybe just a little bit of oxygen support, uh, but some of them do end up getting uh, put on a ventilator to help with breathing uh, and everything in between. We do have medications that we can use to treat uh, children. It's the same medications we use in adults. So uh, for the most part, the children would get the same treatment depending on how severe their infection is. You know, a, a year or so ago, before the Delta variant, when we were talking about infections, there was this perception that kids were sort of, I don't want to say immune, but much less likely to get uh, severely ill. And really, our focus was on the elderly. Now that we have Delta as part of the mix, and we know that pediatric infections are up, you know, where are we seeing the biggest growth? Is it young children when I think of someone, let's say, under the age of 12 who has no access to the vaccine? Or is it more in the sort of teen and preteen set? Uh, you know, I would say the biggest growth is in the area of unvaccinated individuals, wh whatever uh, age bracket that is. Um, you know, depending on on um, the uptake of the vaccine, 
that's where we're seeing more of the infections and the new cases popping up. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, because the vaccine is not available for 12 and under, it is a population that remains un, unaffected or, or uh, unprotected. But, you know, we do see infection in elderly individuals or young teenagers or, or young adults that, that haven't gotten vaccinated yet. So in general, it's more the unvaccinated population. Overall, I mean, I know that we are concentrating uh, this show on kids, but if you can give us a glimpse of what uh, the overall health system at Hawaii Pacific Health is dealing with right now as we continue to monitor hospitalizations. Uh, of course, HPH represents four uh, of, largest, of the largest hospitals within our state, but if you can give us a, an update on how things are looking uh, there at Hawaii Pacific Health. You know, we're, we're doing okay at Hawaii Pacific Health. Uh, there, there are periods of time when we're strained. It really depends on a day-in, day-out basis on how many hospitalizations we get. But we're not by any means overrun. And, and uh, together as a community with support from all the other facilities working together, you know, we are working to make sure we can support our community's needs depending on what the numbers are. But we're okay at Hawaii Pacific Health. I want to ask uh, this question from Stephanie, uh, just about schools, and it's a question that we get kind of a lot, which is, do you agree with the decision to move forward with in-person learning, especially considering kids under 12 can't get vaccinated yet? Do you think they should be in class? And do you think the multi-layered mitigation efforts are enough to keep Keiki safe? What are you telling parents right now? Because I'm assuming that as school started, you were getting a lot of calls. What I'm telling parents are is to you know review the school's policies with regards to how they manage COVID infection. What are their policies on how they um, they organize their classrooms in terms of maintaining social distancing among the children and activities? Uh, and then I coach parents to make sure that when their children are going to school, all the usual things: make sure they're wearing their masks, make sure they're being mindful about about social distancing with their friends and classmates. Uh, make sure they're keeping their hands clean. And that's, you know, uh, that's as good as you can get in, in the classroom setting. And then when the vaccine does become available for, for their age group, then, you know, I recommend that, that they get their children vaccinated. What would you recommend to those parents who maybe get word that their child may have been exposed uh, to COVID-19, say someone in their class or maybe someone in a friend's group? Uh, what should that standard protocol look like for those parents who may have had, uh, whose children may, or a ch child and, and potentially family members may have been exposed? If a child has been exposed in the classroom, then, then um, they, they would be asked to stay home in quarantine for 10 days uh, and ideally maybe get tested about five days after the exposure just to determine whether they did turn positive from the exposure or not. Uh, and, and then monitor really closely for any symptom development. And if there are any symptoms that developed, certainly touch base with your child's pediatrician and, and, um, and get evaluated, see if they, they need any um, you know, certain treatment or maybe other testing that might need to be done. You know, the thing with children, and I have a two and a five-year-old, is that sniffles and coughing, it's just sort of a part of life. And as a parent, you get used to it. But now with COVID, every cough you think could be something. So as a parent, how do, you know, what do I look for? What are you telling people to look for when it comes to uh, COVID in kids? Is there anything unique that would be specific to COVID? Because, you know, little kids get viruses all the time. Right. And, and those, vi those viruses could be your run-of-the-mill upper respiratory viruses, or it could be COVID. It, it's tough to tell. So, you know, I would have a low threshold for testing. 
uh, that way you can you know ensure that if it is COVID, you know about it, and and that would um, that would impact whether your child is going to school or interacting with friends or family members and and, and whatnot. Uh, but if you know your child has sniffles and allergies, I, I would tell parents to look out for something that's a little different out of the norm. Like, are they feeling a little bit more run down? Is their appetite a little decreased? Are they are, are, are they having a fever or sore throat or any other symptoms beyond what they normally have from the sniffles? Those would all be extra things I would look for. Lisa has another question. What advice? What is your advice on travel to the mainland for children under 12 years old? Again, we know that that is an age uh, demographic that is not uh, does not have access to the vaccine just yet. But what would your advice be for those parents who maybe are planning uh, some travel with their family? My advice would be if it is uh, elective travel, meaning you know not the emergency or or something required, to try and postpone it and hold off on it. Uh, because traveling, you know, even if you're wearing a mask on an airplane by nature, you can't necessarily um, socially distance and going through airports are, are crowded. Uh, so I, I would say if it is something that you could postpone, certainly think about it. If it's elective, maybe see if you can reschedule it. There's a question here. We've heard a lot about uh, monoclonal antibody treatments and Cheryl wants to know, can children get monoclonal antibody treatment to avoid going to the hospital? What sort of treatments if a, children is present, if a child is presenting with COVID and they have a more serious case, what are the options for treatment? Monoclonal antibody is authorized by um, by the FDA for use in 12 years and older. So for under 12 years, monoclonal antibody is not uh, available uh, for children. It would be a matter of of um, what we refer to as supportive care. You know, managing fevers if there is a fever, making sure the child drinks enough fluids to stay hydrated, uh, looking out for uh, any severe. Um, respiratory symptoms that might uh, require more support and maybe hospitalization uh, or, or breathing support, those type of things. But, you know, unfortunately, monoclonal antibody is only authorized for 12 and above. And, and just to stay on the monoclonal antibodies treatment overall, uh, what have you been seeing? I mean, is that something that HPH it currently is also uh, using in, in its way to treat COVID patients uh, that are 12 and above? And, and what are some of the things that you folks are seeing through those uh, treatment? We've been we've been administering monoclonal antibody on an outpatient basis since November last year uh, it, when it got authorized and and um, it's it's really actually the only authorized treatment for outpatient COVID nineteen uh, and and what the intent is is to prevent the progression of COVID nineteen from mild to moderate illness to severe uh, illness requiring hospitalization so we see monoclonal antibody as as an opportunity to treat COVID-19 on an outpatient basis to minimize the, the progression of illness that re might require hospitalization. It might be a, a way for us to, uh, to minimize the strain on hospital resources. There's a question here from Joel. He says, if my grandkids already had Delta, are they safe? I don't know that we know what variant someone has contracted, but overall, generally speaking, um, does having the virus, having had the virus give you more natural immunities and, and should you think that you have a layer of protection then? Yeah, catching catching the virus is a, a natural way of getting immunity and hopefully the viral infection isn't severe enough to make you um, really sick and that you recover uh, well from it. Uh, it, it. It does afford you immunity. The CDC has been suggesting that the immunity lasts about 90 days or so. 
but nonetheless, it, it's hard to tell uh, how good your immunity uh, developed in fighting off the infection. So that's why the vaccine is still recommended for individuals who've recovered from, from a COVID-19 infection. We know that there are a lot of questions also and concerns about those who are expecting those mothers to be, uh, you know, who are pregnant at the time right now and, and maybe are hesitant about getting the vaccine. Uh, what would your advice be to those mothers out there who are still contemplating whether or not to get the vaccine during this time? My advice would be to go and get the vaccine. Uh, you're not just protecting yourself and family members and community, but you're also actually protecting your unborn child. Uh, because when you get the vaccine, you're developing uh, antibodies and protection within your um, body. And those antibodies cross over to the developing baby. So the baby is actually getting antibodies as well, too. So when the babies are born, they actually have some degree of protection to COVID-19 if you got vaccinated during your pregnancy. So I would recommend, I, I'm, I'm sorry, Auntie, yes, I, I would recommend pregnant women to, to get vaccinated. And following that, Peter has a follow-up question. Are, are breastfed infants, do they receive any kind of protection or vaccine protection uh, through breast milk if the mother is vaccinated? Yes, they do. That's another benefit even after delivery because those antibodies do come out in the mother's breast milk. And when the babies are, are feeding on the breast milk, they are getting the antibodies there as well too. Do you know what about uh, how many months pregnant women you folks that currently have at Kapilani? I know it's hard to have any specific numbers at this time, uh, but are you seeing those types of patients uh, entering the hospital right now that are requiring assistance because uh, they have caught or are infected with COVID-19? I, I don't know, have any specific numbers, Ryan, but I can tell you that we have been seeing um, uh, pregnant women coming in that have not been vaccinated that are infected with COVID-19 and we've been managing them and, and managing the pregnancy as well too, which is why we've, um, we've been really concerted in our efforts to try and get the message out that pregnant women uh, should get vaccinated. The American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology has recommended that pregnant women get vaccinated. The American Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine has also come out and recommended vaccines for pregnant women. So it's the best thing that a pregnant women could do to protect themselves and, and their unborn child. One thing mm -hmm. that state leaders and local leaders are monitoring, of course, is hospitalizations. And when we see the COVID counts, um, we've been told that within two to 10 days, we can assume that about 4% of those folks would end up in the hospital. Jamie has a question, uh, and, and, and the question is really, does that differ for children? What percentage of children that contract COVID actually end up in the hospital? Is it lower than that general 4%? Uh, in general, that's tough to tell because we, we, we do know that children uh, tend to be infected less severely than adults. So, you know, they require less hospitalization. But nonetheless, that doesn't mean we get complacent about our children uh, or our pediatric population because they can get sick uh, and they can end up in the, in the hospital. So, you know, I, I would just say um, that even though the general sense is that you know, children might not be infected severely. It, it doesn't mean that that they can't get sick. Uh, so use protective measures to um, to try as best we can to protect them against uh, COVID until they're available to get the vaccine. You know, last year we saw a significantly lower number when it comes to flu cases and those who are reporting flu uh, here in the islands and really nationwide because of the fact that there was a lot of isolation. People are not wearing masks. Uh, but there is some concern about flu season uh, heading into this 
current uh, season when flu is often pops up in, in schools and especially with kids. What would your advice be for those parents who are making the decision whether or not to have their kids get the flu shot? Uh, or, or can that be com combined with those children who are eligible for uh, the COVID vaccine as well? Uh, how, would, how does the flu vaccine tie into all of this? I would recommend parents get get a flu vaccine for their children as well too. We know that flu and COVID symptoms can look the same. So, um, you know, you might have flu, but the concern would be, do you have COVID um, and vice versa? And if you can do anything to protect yourself from getting one or the other or both, then um, then better off for you in terms of protection. That you can get the COVID vaccine and the flu vaccine at the same time. There does not have to be any uh, any time period or window between the vaccines. So if you got COVID vaccine, let's say on Monday, you'd still be able to get the flu vaccine on Tuesday or Wednesday. You can actually get them at the same time in different arms. There's a question here, and I don't know if you have the specific numbers. Uh, Jass is saying, last week we had 60 kids in the hospital. How many of those kids were in the ICU? I don't know if you have the breakdown. And there's some other questions. How many, Keiki, do we have in the hospital right now? And also sort of the question of capacity. What Does Kapiolani have enough pediatric beds to support all of these kids who are needing this advanced care? Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have specific numbers for you, but I can tell you that we do have capacity at Kapiolani to care for uh, our children. Uh, so if any children do have have um, have needs for COVID-19 treatment, we can take care of them at Kapiolani. We know also one of the things that has happened because of this recent surge has been uh, just some other medical treatments as well as procedures being put on hold because of just the overall capacity. Uh, has that been an issue at Kapiolani with any other children? We know, of course, th that is a hospital that treats uh, cancer patients and those children who are receiving other uh, other terms and, and types of treatment. Uh, has there been any impact to, to those patients during this time? No, there hasn't been. Uh, they, there's been good access to medications. I would say the only, um, the only medication we're keeping an eye on is monoclonal antibody since, um, you know, it, it's a it's a, a treatment for outpatient COVID nineteen, and and um, it's being utilized much more nationally as well as here in Hawaii. So we're keeping an eye on our supplies and our distribution of that medication. Mm. I want to ask about the vaccine for those who are over twelve, but they're you know they're still kids. Um, what are the reactions that you've seen, if any, in children who get the vaccine, and what are you telling parents as they wrestle with the decision whether or not to have their children vaccinated? For those children 12 and up that have been getting the vaccine, it's it's pretty much been the same as adults, primarily pain in the injection site, maybe some muscle soreness, maybe a little bit of fatigue, um, sometimes headaches, uh, stomach aches, but you know uh, less frequently than the muscle aches and pains. And these symptoms tend to resolve within about one to three days after getting the vaccine. So it's about the same that we've uh, that we've seen in 12 and ups. We'll just have to see what the studies and the data show for, for 12 and under with regards to the side effects, because that's something that for sure the FDA is looking at with regards to um, offering an authorization for that age group. We know that youth sports also plays a big role in uh, the development of children. Do you think that right now this is a time when it's safe for kids to be participating in sporting activities and team sporting events? 
And I think it's the same kind of thing as classrooms with regards to sporting events. If the sporting events can be very mindful about social distancing, about mask wearing, about um, um, making sure that, that kids aren't sharing water bottles and things of that sort, uh, where you can do it appropriately, then we can do it. I think it's also important to make sure that our kids can get out uh, and 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 um, and do outdoors activities. We wouldn't want them getting cooped up and, and having cabin fever because they can't do anything. That could affect their health in a very different way. So looking for means of, of being able to do outdoor activities and sports in an appropriate fashion to keep them safe. You know, back to that under 12 set, how soon do you expect uh, the vaccine to be available for those between the ages of five and 12? I think the latest word is hopefully by the end of the year, maybe as soon as by the end of October. Uh, the, the FDA has been very mindful about making sure that the data that they evaluate in the pediatric population or 11 uh, and under is safe. Uh, they don't assume that, uh, that children 11 and under are just little adults. They're very different individuals. And, and as such, they're looking at the data very, very differently than then they looked at data with the adults. They want to make sure it's safe. And they're not going to assume that just because it was safe in adults, it's safe in children. You know, as a pediatrician yourself and someone that sees and cares for children and, and in different pediatric age groups, uh, has there been any common question or something that you are often faced with as a physician and, and when parents are coming in and their concerns about this? What are your conversations like right now with some of those parents? And what do you tell them when it comes to uh, COVID-19? You know, I would say the questions that I've been asked are exactly the same questions that you and Yanji has a have asked today. These are, you know, these are the very questions and parents are concerned about and, and wondering about. And so these are the, the very conversations I have with my patients in, in my office. Yeah, and I and to follow on that, you know, I'm interested to know just in lifestyle choices, we can only control so much. We can't control when we get the vaccine or, um, you know, what happens when our kids go to school other than asking the questions that you suggested. What are you telling parents about personal behavior and what is safe and what is not safe in terms of taking kids to a restaurant and, you know, engaging in social activities where, um, you know, approaching the season, the holidays will be here before you know it, and it'll be Halloween and trick-or-treating and all of those things. And, you know, we we scaled back and we did everything on Zoom and there were some downsides to that as well. So how are you telling families to sort of navigate this in this time as we wait for the vaccine to be available for those who are who are the youngest? It all comes down to the, the same things that we've been sharing, you know, kind of since the beginning of the pandemic with regards to mask wearing, social distancing, keeping hands clean, especially before you touch your eyes, nose and mouth, especially before you eat. Uh, avoiding large crowds, um, you know, those type of things. I think those type of mitigation efforts that that, um, you know, that have been put in place are, are things that we can be very mindful in, in terms of judging what activities are safe for our children and our families. And overall, we know uh, also that there has been a lot of assistance that's been brought in from the medical community outside to support the Hawaii nurses and the Hawaii frontline workers uh, from those coming from the mainland. Uh, is that something that you're also seeing with regards to assistance that's being needed at Kapiolani uh, with children? Or has their assistance and the help that's coming in from the mainland really been regulated to, say, Straub and some of the other uh, facilities that support more adults? 
No, the help that's been coming in has been going all over, and and it's been, um, you know, in support of of our our staff and and um, uh, and and helping us uh, do other um, initiatives such as uh, doing monoclonal antibodies. There are FEMA teams that are coming out uh, solely with the deployment to to help the state with with administration of monoclonal antibodies. So, you know, it's been a great support, and it's been throughout Hawaii Pacific Health. Uh, can can you tell us, you know, we're running out of time here, but what is your advice to families right now, um, you know, when it comes to navigating this? I know you said that more testing as opposed to less, but, you know, let's say our kids come home and they do have a little sniffle and we, we just don't know. And also kids can be asymptomatic. What are you telling parents uh, when it comes to how much testing to do? And, and you know, because that's also, I mean, I've had my kids COVID tested and <laughs> it's not fun. Um, no. And so there, there's a downside to that as well. But of course, the assurance of knowing is very important. I think the best advice would be to uh, to touch base with your child's pediatrician. If you have any worries or concerns about any symptoms, certainly connect with your pediatrician and have them help guide you in terms of you know what type of evaluations or tests, if any, need to be done. You know, with during this time, there has been so much discussion with COVID nineteen and and information that is out there and being presented online, as well as. Uh, just those who feel like the vaccine is not for them and a decision that they have made that they do not want to get vaccinated. As a medical professional yourself, uh, what would you say uh, just in terms of your experience and, and the schooling and the research that you've done on your side uh, about the vaccine? And what would you say to those individuals who are still considering uh, the vaccine, but maybe reading something online that is deterring them from getting it? Yeah, I do understand an individual's right to choose on whether they want to get vaccinated or not. But from the data and the studies and the experience that I've seen with regards to the vaccine, the vaccines are safe uh, and they are very good at doing what they're designed to do in terms of protecting you from getting infection. But should you get a breakthrough infection, it, it's, it's uh, good at protecting you from getting a severe infection that might require hospitalization. So vaccines are good. It's it's a way of not just protecting yourself, but your family and friends around you and, and the community at large. Uh, so I, I would recommend uh, anybody who hasn't got their vaccine yet to think about getting it. Uh, it's, it's, it's one of the largest ways for us to get out of this pandemic. Okay. Mm -hmm. Great words of wisdom this morning from Dr. Douglas Kwok from Hawaii Pacific Health. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Aloha. Well, great to hear from him. Thank you, all of you who are, uh, you know, su submitting those questions. And you know, he said that we covered a lot of the same ground that he's having uh, with his patients and with their parents uh, right now as they try to navigate this time. There is so much uncertainty when it comes to kids and COVID. He says, for the most part, they do recover faster than adults. But that said, there have been kids here in Hawaii that have needed to be hospitalized and that have needed to be intubated and in the ICU. So this is still a very serious illness even for children. Um, and he's recommending all of the same mitigation measures. He says that we've been talking about since the start, masking, hand washing, social distancing, and if it's an option for you, if you're over the age of 12, to get a vaccine. And also noting that it is not a, a safe time to travel. That was a question that also came in from a parent who was wondering if this is the time where, you know, they could take their child who is 12 and under to go to the mainland and go on a trip. Uh, he's saying that if it is not essential that this probably is not the best time to be traveling with your children. Uh, and also noting that 
with a flu season that, that he is recommending that children still get their flu vaccines as well uh, and that you can get the flu as well as the COVID-19 vaccine. He's saying at the same time, there isn't any uh, you know, damaging side effects from getting them together. Uh, so he's continuing to push that as well. Yeah, very important to get the vaccine because COVID symptoms and flu symptoms can look very similar. So at least if you've, you know, you can sort of rule one out and make sure that you're not getting sick and then thinking that you might have COVID because that brings on all of its own stresses. Of course, important to have connections to your own pediatrician. And he did give some encouragement saying that they do have enough facilities right now at Kapiolani to take care of the pediatric cases that they are seeing. But it is important, of course, these hospital resources are limited. So it is important to do everything you can in terms of mitigation to prevent any of these cases in the first place. Uh, on Friday, Ryan, we're switching gears. Uh, the pandemic basically infiltrates any conversation we have, but we are going to be talking to someone who would like to take the helm at the Hawaii State Capitol. That's right. Recently announced uh, a candidate for governor, Vicky Kaitan, the former first lady, uh, will be joining us here on Friday as she begins her campaign for that quest to become Hawaii's next governor. Of course, we want to talk to her about her thoughts of what's happening here with COVID-19, what she would do differently, uh, and how she thinks public officials have done during this time. We know that her opponents will be the lieutenant governor, Josh Green, as well as former mayor, Kirk Caldwell. And so wanted to get and interested to talk to her about her opinions on how these leaders have done during this time and what she would do differently, as well as a, a lot of other state issues that this person coming into this role will have to face. Yeah, and it's very interesting because she is a very successful businesswoman. She, of course, has, uh, you know, had a front view of politics as Hawaii's first lady, but never a candidate herself. So um, it'll be interesting to talk to her about why she decided that now was the time for her to step into this leadership role and why she thinks that she would be best at the helm. So we look forward to our conversation with Vicky Cayetano. That's 1030 right here on Friday. Until then, stay safe. Have a great rest of the week. Aloha. Aloha. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii was brought to you by Chaminade University.